Welcome to Improv Interviews with me, Margo Escott, improviser and clinical therapist. And I have a super duper guest today. I have a friend named Shirley, and she told me about this great teacher named Rich. And so I thought I'd try his class out. I've been an addict. He teaches several classes. They're wonderful. We're going to promote the hell out of them today. And uh, what I found, because I also teach improv, is I have been using a lot of the ideas from Rich and his book that we'll be talking about at some point as well. Welcome, Rich. Thank you. Oh, what a great intro. Thank you so much. I, I'm I'm so honored by so many different things. But when when a fellow teacher says, I took your class and I borrowed some of your exercises, that means a lot to me because some of them I invented, some of them I just took, but it's like I curate my exercises so, you know, like with so much thought that if one of them sparks your interest, I'm like, oh, thanks. I, I, I cared about that one, too. Oh, that's great to hear. And they're so much fun. My cheeks on my face hurt from laughing when I get out of your classes. I'm telling you what, they are so fantastic. So now, do you origin from Texas? Yes, ma'am. Fort Worth, Texas. Born and raised. Fort Worth, Texas. All righty. Woohoo! And, yeah. um, and uh, because I'm a therapist, I like to know about your childhood, your traumas, your disappointments. And let's just go there for a few minutes if that's okay. Sure. There's a lot more than a few minutes, but I'll condense them for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what don't do condense know? it. We have all, no, I want to know about your family, <laughs> what position you were in. Were you a jokester at an early age or were you wanting to be an actor? Just a little bit more about your childhood. So let's start with, uh, okay, so my mom uh, and dad both had a kid in their previous marriages before they met. So I am sort of an only child and sort of one of three and neither. <laughs> so, uh, but I was not supposed to be. Uh, it's a long story, but essentially the doctors told my mom that she couldn't carry a child to term uh, in the 70s. And so she got her tubes tied. And, uh, and then it's, again, there's, there's a lot more to it than this, but essentially there was no reason why I should have been conceived, let alone born. And so about six months into her pregnancy, she was like, I'm gaining weight. I can't figure it out. And the doctor's like, it's a boy. And she's like, no, no, no. Here's why that's not possible. Reason, 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 all these different reasons. And they were like, no, for real, there's a kid up in there. And she was like, oh, so, uh, so I was a surprise. And, uh, and then I was a pretty sickly kid. There was something wrong with me. I don't remember what. Some, something hadn't developed fully. They had to keep me under the, the Burger King lamps, you know, as a, as a baby uh, for a while where I you know, could grow stuff or whatever. How tasty that was. And so yeah. you're, you're actually a miracle baby. You were uh, destined I, to be here somehow. I am very grateful that my dad uh, was a union employee and had some of the best possible health insurance an employee in the, this, uh, the country could have had at the time because I needed so much medical care and all that stuff that like I'm only alive because of all that. So it's a super big blessing. But anyway, so I was born. So my brother's 14 years older than me and my sister is 12 years older than me. And I don't really know my sister hardly at all. My brother and I were actually pretty close growing up. He was still in the house uh, for a few years. And then, uh, but then I think by the time I was like nine or ish that he had moved out. So I was, and by, before then, you know, he was always, you know, high school going out and different things. So I was kind of an only child raised that way. And, uh, and I'm by far the youngest. And how, when did you start becoming a healthy child? Or are you are you are you healthy now? Let me ask you that. I guess that's I guess that's a relative term. I'd say uh, 
I don't know at what point my mom uh, believed that I was actually going to grow up. But like at one point, I remember my 30s, my mom said, oh, yeah, you we didn't know that you were going to make it to adulthood, you know. And I was like, hmm, it was that bad, huh? Uh, I I was uh, off and on again. I'd say that I, I was out of the, the, the woods a lot by the time I was like 10 and I was still sickish, but not like in danger kind of stuff. And uh, how did you do in school? Did you like school? Did you have favorite subjects? Or were sure, you the one uh, that they said, shut up down there, Rich? I told no, I you. I was a super shy kid, didn't oh, talk at wow. all. Didn't, didn't really have any friends until maybe third grade. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I liked school, but I am very mission driven, just having my whole life. And so... I was told in no uncertain terms, we get A's in this household. So like, I was like, got it, I'll do it. And so I, you know, I was like, you know, the straight A student gifted and talented. I hate that term now, but like, that's still what they call it in Texas, gifted and talented uh, classes. I'm like, no, 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 this is a bad, bad name, bad name, names matter. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to rant about that, but yeah, you know, straight A student, super shy. And then I was really into art, uh, visual art, like uh, drawing a lot as uh, growing up. So I would do all this drawing and and uh, and then at some point that that version of my artistic expression kind of yielded to choir. I got I found out I could sing. And so I started singing all the time. And then like I went from being an artist, like an artist to a singer. And then I started doing the musicals. So then acting, then I started doing plays. And so now I'm like now I'm an actor and I'm like I was just always lily padding. And then I was like, let me play guitar. And I was kind of jack of all arts, master of none kind of thing until I was 17 and that's the first time I saw improv and while I still am a multi-hyphenate artist improv has clearly been the thing that has occupied more of my uh life both professionally and personally so where did you first see improv there's this place is still there to this day called four day weekend in fact they've even expanded they've uh they they used to just have a theater in Fort Worth which is where they started but now they have one in Dallas as well and uh they we're the only improv in town. Like no one knew what improv was in Texas back in the nineties. You know, they didn't know what it was in most places, but especially then. And four day weekend had some of their guys had trained with, uh, Marty DeMott and people like that in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it wow. come down and were, you know, performing this art form that was basically brand new to us. And, uh, the first time I went, I was a, it was my friend's 18th birthday party and no one really knew what the show was. Like she had been told, oh, it's a really good show. You're gonna have a good time. But they wouldn't tell her like what it was. So we went to this thing called Four Day Weekend, which is, you know, pretty amorphous title. So we, we, that didn't tell us what it is. And then they start like, they ask us for something and then they start doing something that was based on that. And I'm like, are they making this up? And I didn't. <laughs> I didn't believe it. The show blew me away, and it still does every time I go down there. Like they're really funny guys, and uh, I, I didn't believe it. I was so I was steadfast, and you know I'd done so many plays and musicals and and, and writing and whatnot. I was like, you can't just make up comedy that's this good. I was I couldn't believe it. So I went back. They had shows. Uh, it's Fridays, one show Friday, one show Saturday at the time, and so I went back like every show for like six weeks until wow. finally I was wow. convinced. They're making it up. They have to be making it up. Like it has to be, you know, it's, 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 they, they couldn't have written this many scripts. Like it's, it would be insane. And so I went up to one of them afterwards and I was like, Hey, uh, you really making this stuff up? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, how? And he goes, Oh, we got classes. So that's how it started. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. So you were 18 or she was 18. Did you go, were you, did you actually leave Fort Worth and go to like extended school for the ungifted, untalented? Yeah, uh, no, I stayed in Fort Worth to go to college, which uh, TCU, and uh-huh. then well, I went to junior college and then TCU and uh, did more and more improv uh, at, at those colleges and with friends. And there's still, I believe, still uh, the troupe Senseless Acts of Comedy at Texas Christian University. It's still there. Uh, I was one of the original members. It was formed by me and uh, a few a few other guys. Andrew Hammer was really the... the Andrew Hamer, ironically, just he was the spearhead of this. Like he wanted to do it, he recruited us, that kind of thing. And he's now one of the members of Four Day Weekend, that troupe <laughs> that inspired us originally. So wow, full circle. Isn't that great? So, yeah. so did you? Is it fair to say you became enchanted, obsessed, addicted to improv? Yeah, absolutely. You found your home. So yeah, it was it, it, the art form was it was the best art form I'd ever met, Margot, because I didn't have to work, I didn't have to prepare. Like once you had the skill, like you just you get better at the skill, but like you just showed up to the games. You didn't have to practice. Like yeah, I mean, yeah. it, which isn't true, but like that's what I thought of it. Of like no more memorizing lines, no yeah. more like what if I have a sore throat when I'm supposed to be singing? No more like any of that shit. Like, this is the most adaptive art form you can do. Because, like, even if you're tired, you can still improvise, right? Because you just yes and what you're, what you're feeling at the moment. Right. It's so unbelievable. So when did you go to Chicago? Is you're right. A- uh, so that guy, Andrew Hammer, that started that, uh, him and another guy, John Anderson. Uh, cute puppy. Uh, him and a uh, guy, John Anderson, we're, we're all friends. We're all performing together. And they had, the two of them, decided they were going to move to Chicago together when they graduated. And somehow I think I just tagged along and I was like, Hey guys, can I join? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. But they were a little younger than me. So I, I waited a year and a half till after college to move to Chicago with them. Cause we didn't know anybody up there. And I right. was not going to, I was not brave enough to move by myself. So I waited to move with those two. Wonderful. And so when you got to second city, did you start in classes right away? I, but you must have had to have a job to pay for your classes. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's funny uh, how many people uh, uh, would take those classes and would be like, yeah, I'm out of work right now. And it's like <laughs> we were all just such, you know desperate and, and unskilled people outside of the theater. I had saved up. I'd worked as a fitness trainer in uh, Texas and uh, and I was living with my parents, so I didn't have to pay rent. So I saved, I just, for that year and a half between college and them graduating, I just, my goal was make money, save money to move to Chicago. So that's how I got there. And we actually, it sounds silly now, but uh, I think three of us flew up to Chicago before we moved, like two weeks before we moved to audition for Second City. We flew in auditioned spent the night uh uh one night in chicago flew out the next day and then moved there two weeks later because we didn't want to wait another term to start we want to start second city right away yeah and so we did uh and now you know now i'm looking back i'm like oh man that was a that was a waste of a plane trip guys like (laughs) you could have waited a term it would have been fine it would have been no problem that's so funny so you were performing right away at second city not perf- well, I did get actually uh, about a month in, I auditioned for a, a student writer show so that, you know, they'd have a, a whole separate writing program who, right. who weren't 
they may have been performers, but they weren't performing in their own stuff. Their job was to write it and cast it. So they would cast it from students who auditioned. And so I auditioned for this writing show. It was directed by Joe Janes, who's still one of my uh, heroes and friends to this day. He's an amazing improviser and writer. And uh, he was directing it. And it was such kismet because I got into this show and I was having fun doing this sketch show while I'm taking classes at Second City. And I'd done comedy sports in Dallas. And Joe was, at the time, the artistic director of comedy sports in Chicago. So we started talking comedy sports. And all of a sudden, I'm getting asked to do guest shows at Comedy Sports Chicago wow. when they needed, like, when they, they couldn't fill out a, a given night. They would, I'd be like a backup team member. And uh, so that was super cool. Oh, I bet. So that's where you met Matt. LL? Right? Um, you're. Uh, Matt Lamont, I'm sorry. Who's Matt um, Lamont? I'm sorry, I missaid his name. Oh, I've got to start all over again. Now, welcome to Improv Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, the t- the teacher that influenced you, I thought it was. Oh, Matt Elwell. No, I thought it was Mott something. Matt, Matt, Matt something. No. I don't. I don't know. I'm. Well, I'm not. It's not ringing any bells. Okay, that's okay. We'll forget about that. So how how about some of the. <laughs> So did you have to go through? Did you have to go through all the levels they have at Second City, or what was that? Yeah, like? I, yeah. I well, so I they had two at the time. They had two separate tracks. They had your beginning level for people who had no experience whatsoever, and then they had uh, the conservatory, and yes. you had to audition to be in the conservatory. And they were not. I call, we called them from Texas to get on the list. We're like, we'd like to audition for conservatory, and they put us through the ringer. They were like what improv have you done? What acting classes have you done? Blah, 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 blah. And like, we had thankfully done enough to satisfy their questions, but I'm yeah. thinking like a lot of people would have just hung up the phone and been like, I'm not worthy, you know, kind of thing. And so we thought this was such a big deal. And then all three of us got into conservatory, like flying up from Texas to audition, got in the conservatory and then started like the week after we moved there, which was That's so, fantastic. So who, are, who are some of the teachers you had in the conservatory? Jen Evelith was my first teacher. She's awesome. Uh, great movement teacher in addition to every other thing. Very uh, funny performer. She was on a team called The Reckoning, which was kind of a big uh-huh. deal in Chicago at the time uh, at the I.O. I was also, who else? Uh, I had, uh, well, Ann Libra was, she was my wow, last yeah. teacher. Uh-huh. And I mean, what a blessing. Like that is an extremely talented, just just so smart. Her brain works on so many levels. And she you know, was our teacher slash director for our graduation show and our graduation show. And I'm not afraid to admit this. It was funny. Like we crushed that graduation show and it was all because Ann Libra, cause we uh-huh. were a mess of a class, but she found the funny in us and put it together. Oh, and wow. I'm still in awe of that woman today. She's, she's amazing. So I'm trying to do time travel here. Was it in the nineties when you went up to Chicago? No, Woo! I moved there June, <laughs> June of 2005 is when oh, I okay. got out there. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, Improv Olympics was long, uh, the IO, sorry, was no longer Improv Olympics when you got there. And that was. It had just changed. I can't remember if it changed like right when I got there or right before. But I mean, it was Improv Olympic, Improv Olympic. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about the uh, International Olympic Committee suing them. And how now we're calling it IO. But like no one called it IO in 2005. Like everyone just said Improv Olympic. And it, it, it took years for me to even start calling it the I.O. Did, did you ever work with David Shepard at all? Or was he long gone by then? Uh, don't, I don't know who David Shepard is. Oh, Dave, you don't know who David Shepard is? 
Oh, let me tell you. He is kind of like the father of improv to a lot of us. He wow. created, all, he started, well, he helped start the Compass and then Playwright mm-hmm. Theater. He was in on starting Second City, but then wow. he started Improv Olympics and Charna came over. And so the wow. actually, I think before they actually changed it to IO, he decided to go back to New York and then Canada mm-hmm. and Oh, I teach a class um, all about him. He's a wonderful guy. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, he must have been gone by the time I got there because I didn't know he was. Yeah, he went with that guy, Matt, that I can't remember his name with. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So 2005, wow. And so, uh, but you started doing a lot of other things too, didn't you? I mean, you weren't just, you were, did you start your podcast then? Were you doing YouTube then? No, I think YouTube came out in 2005. Um, I didn't start doing YouTube stuff until after I moved to L.A. I did one podcast in Chicago called Living the Dream, where it was similar to this long-form one-on-one interviews, and the whole crux was I interviewed anyone who was making a living doing their art. So magicians, wow. uh, cool. you know, circus performers, dancers, all that kind of stuff. And how long ago did you migrate to uh, L.A.? 2014, January January 1st, 2014, got here. So I've been here uh, just over eight years now. Wonderful. And you, we're, I, I know you have live shows now. Um, and what theaters do you perform at when you're performing? So I have three main things I perform. Uh, Mission Improbable, I've been with since before I moved to LA because they're both in both cities. Uh, the, it's it's short form like you've never seen it. Super high energy, just you know, big. Wow, it's it's wow. it's barely controlled chaos. It's wonderful. Uh, I love doing that show. And then my other big troupe that I do is Rolling in Riches with my partner Roland Lopez. Uh, we've headlined a few festivals. We've traveled a bunch. Uh, we've had a number of runs at different theaters in L.A. We currently don't have any active run going on, but we have. Uh, we are going to be in the uh, what's the festival? The um, the Wasatch Improv Festival in. I believe August is when it is. Cool. And, uh, so we're excited about coming back there. And then I uh, produce a show called Monologues and Mayhem that I just started producing in, uh, back in December of 2021 at the Glendale Room, which is a new space run by Sean Casey. Fantastic space. Uh, and it's where I'm producing my own Armando show, and I get a different cast and a different uh, storyteller every single month. I love it. I love playing the Armando I really yeah, do. Great. That now, what was the name of that theater again for our listeners? The Glendale to, Room. The Glendale Room. Okay, pretty, pretty cool. Pretty, yeah, and the Mission cool. Improbables at the West Side Comedy Theater, which is another fantastic space in Santa Monica. Yeah, I've heard of West Side. Um, I think I know some people that perform there sometimes. Well, Jay, so, Jay definitely is connected to the West Side heavy and a uh, bunch of talented improvisers over there. You mentioned my improv teacher, Jay Suko who um, is just a sweet guy, a sweet guy, fun teacher. And um, so I have two great teachers I'm learning from. I've kind of I've kind of studied with a lot of people and now I've cut it down to the best. Yeah, uh, only the best. Because what makes your classes so great too is the wonderful people that come to it. I mm-hmm. mean, they are just fantastic. I can't sing their praises enough. So I'll sing mine. La, da, da, da. No. <laughs> No, I'm, I, I love my online practice groups, uh, and it's it's exactly because of the people. You know, like, 
I'm not interested in having a student, you know, no matter how much they want to pay for the class, like if they're going to bring it down, like they're not welcome. And I've never had to enforce this, but I have a no shithead policy. And uh, if like if you come in and you're being a shithead and making everything awful, like I'm I will I'll literally boot you out of the Zoom room and never invite you back. And if you paid any money, I'll refund it. But like, it's just cool. Not, I'm not cool I love it. that. I love that. Yeah. I, I'm I think student curation is something I didn't have when I taught for Second City or any place else. You know, they would put a class together and they right, would assign right. a teacher to it. And that's a fine model. But as running my own shop now, I get to, you know, like I get to kind of, you know, I can't force someone to be in it, but I can definitely keep someone from being out of it and I can decide who I market to. And that is my I want the whole experience to feel fun and supportive. So obviously the people in it need to be on board with fun and support or it's not going to work. Right, exactly. And yes, and uh, and yes, anding everything. Yeah, they are so much fun. Your suggestions are why, crazy. You. Which is why it's so great to have you in because I mean, you just fit right in with the like your support, 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 fun, fun, fun. Yes, and yes, and it's like great. We got a Margot energy in the class now. Oh, thank you. So, talking about energy, um, we talked earlier about maybe doing a scene together and. Mm-hmm. We talked about your book. Uh, our listeners can't hear it, but it's going to be on the website. Yes. The book Improv is Made Easier. There it is. Blame on Improv blame on Made Easier. And so we're going to do a scene picked on something in the book. You're going to just find something or I'll call out a page. And then you will be the director here and say scene. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> so Margo, pick a number between 1 and 227. 197. 197 perfect one second 197 okay here's the page i'm gonna pick a random word off this page and that'll be our inspiration how about potential i say professor the potential for this experiment is titillating yes it's extremely titillating because it has never been experimented with before we are the first to ever harness the power of the oxygen molecule (laughs) and i'm sure oxygen is very useful for a lot of things we don't know what but we found it we don't know what yet, Doctor. We don't know what yet. But it may be good for things like growing plants, perhaps. I have a lovely mm. garden. I have a lovely garden with many petunias. <laughs> it's quite lovely. I have smelled those petunias a time or two. <laughs> <laughs> ah. oh. it's, it's quite Ooh. moving. It's moving, Ooh. I think. Oh, my. What do you think of that, Doctor? I think if it's moving, it must be alive. Oh, my. The oxygen is alive. Oh. We have discovered a new species, Doctor. Yes, we have. And we need to name it after you because you were so influential in all of this. We'll call it, we'll call it instead of oxygen, we'll call it the Frankenstein effect. The Frankenstein effect. That is the perfect name for a living creature. Yes. No problems will occur. Not at all. 
Doctor, I'm going to call the Scientific Official Naming Committee right now and give you all the credit. Oh, that's so kind of you. It's an international number. It might take a moment. I understand. Hello, yes, 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 yes. We have a new living creature. Oxygen is live. We're now calling it the Frankenstein effect. And please let that all credit goes to Dr. Fiskery Halbertry. Oh, we've heard of him. I think he's actually done something this time. Yes, yes, and it's quite, quite amazing. Uh, we can't wait to submit the paper. Well, since you're making the phone call, I would like to credit you. Oh, you stop it now. I, I refuse. I'm merely the assistant that helps. Oh, yes, but assistants are so important in the world of science. So please give me your name. Oh, right. My, my name is... Mm, scene. All right, nice. Very good, very good, very good. <laughs> if I had, like, a joke ready for the name, I would have ended on that. But without, we'll just call it Scene. Just Insert your own scene. joke name here. That was fantastic. I so, love I, I, I love that was such a smooth transition. You were the doctor and then you became the, the, the uh, phone up. That's great. Yeah. Love it. I love it. There's a wall of people behind you. I can't quite see them, but I recognize at least one or two, I think. I yeah. Uh, so anyone and looking at this, I shamelessly put on the background. Um, I just recently had the two year anniversary of my online classes that I started wow. uh, shortly after the pandemic began. So in April of 2020, I started doing online classes really for the first time, not teaching for the first time, but like running my own shop right, for the first right. time. And it's lasted two years. I'm honored and grateful and blown away. Well, and you have international students, so it's yeah. really convenient for, for those people. And uh, how did COVID affect you? I mean, I was in a, you know, before COVID, I was in kind of a, a rough place. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how they lost work because of COVID, which is awful. I actually didn't have work before COVID, very little. <laughs> and um, I was really struggling to find stuff. And I, and I booked three random workshops in three different cities, uh, Vegas, uh, one in uh, Scotts Scottsdale, Arizona, and then one in um, I think Bakersfield or something like that. I can't remember; it's been so long now. But I had these three in-person gigs, and they were paying more so, you know, than average because I'm having to travel for them. And I was literally doing the math, and I go, "Okay, these three gigs are the only thing that's going to keep me from like having to leave my apartment, you know, and, uh, and go live with my parents for like next two months. I've got two months of breathing room, and then the pandemic hit, and those went away, and I went nuts." Uh, so I couldn't get unemployment. I mean, I, maybe I could have, I tried, I tried, I tried, I could never figure out how to do that. So I was really stuck in a place of like, I, I was like, what do I do? And so I started these online classes and they were my saving grace because not only did they help supplement my income for that time, but like, they're literally how I make a living. Like that is my right. living right now is teaching these. And uh, I mean, I, I literally, Margaret, I thought I was going to have to like, okay, well, uh, I got to leave LA, got to move out of this apartment. I got to say goodbye to my dog. I got to, you know, like sell my stuff, moving with my parents and then start back at square zero. And that's just me. It's going to be. And then one class, one weekly class became two, two became three. Eventually it became seven weekly classes. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And so, uh, I've, that's the pandemic was lonely, but work wise, I've I did better during the pandemic than I did before. 
Wow, that's wonderful. So you were really doing gig work before the pandemic, though, weren't you? You, Yeah. And it's hard to get unemployment when you're a gig worker. (laughs) Yeah. Some of my friends say that it's possible if I did such and such, but I tried everything. I couldn't figure it out. So I just said, screw it and forgot about it and concentrated on building up my business, you know. So you talked about, you know, leaving your apartment, selling stuff. Were you going to sell your dog? And is he still with you? Uh, she is, uh, I wouldn't sell my dog. No, not, uh, but I would have to give up my dog because my dog belongs to me and my ex-girlfriend and my ex-girlfriend would not have moved to Texas, you know, so we share custody now. So you don't hear her barking because she's, uh, at my ex's place, but, uh, we have a good relationship. It's great, but, uh, we, we can't, you know, me and her in two different cities, one of us gets the dog and it it would, I would absolutely let her have it because it's more her dog than mine. Yeah. Uh, but it's your dog too. What's her name? Her name is Maggie, and I love her to death, and I miss her all the time. I bet you do. This isn't like a good dog. So um, getting back, um, you don't have to, but some of the teachers that really affected you, you mentioned one or two, but are there other teachers? Because you came in as an experienced improviser, but other teachers that really um, affected you? Yeah, I mean, my first teacher was Dave Wilk at a four-day weekend, and he was the perfect level one teacher for me he just kind of really met us where we were at and even though he had skills you know 10 however many i don't know how much experience he had but he was very good at improv and his ability to talk to us who had no experience during improv and teach us how to walk into it was absolutely phenomenal i mentioned ann libra who i think is fantastic uh Matt Elwell was, uh, I didn't take a class of his particularly, but he was definitely a mentor of mine. And uh, I owe a lot to Matt Elwell. He's fantastic. And then my two others that I always mention are uh, TJ Jagodowski. I got to take him at the IO, who, and he, he lit, he was as good as advertised. I mean, I loved oh him. Oh my as a God. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. But Wonderful. as a teacher, wow. 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 Just, just so present, just so thoughtful, uh. so good. But the, the teacher that inspired me the most as to my teaching style was a guy named Pat O'Brien, who often goes by Michael O'Brien now. He was on SNL. He, he's a writer. and he's, he, he's out there in the world doing stuff. He used to be on that team, The Reckoning, that Jed Eveleth was on. Uh-huh. And there was something about his class. Every other class I took didn't start on time, you know, because people would just kind of meander in. There'd be some talking. And then eventually the teacher would kind of get the tension and this, that, and the other. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. Uh, but Pat came in right on seven o'clock, came in and said, line up against the back wall. Yeah, I love it. I mean, that I was, love it. and and we're just like, and this was level four. And so we were not used to this. And so we're, okay, go, 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 get to the back wall. <laughs> and he said, he said, two people come out, start a scene. It'll go by quick. I'll say scene, everyone, one simultaneous clap. And a new scene will start. Questions? And we're like, uh, no. And he goes, you two, out. And so two people came out and uh, started seeing. He goes, scene. And like some people clapped, not all at the same time. Some people clapped more than once. And he just looked, just silence, just looks at us and he goes, okay, so maybe I didn't explain myself well. I'm going to say <laughs> scene. And you're all going to clap at one time like this. And we were like, oh. And, you know, he was just like, he let us know from the beginning he goes, I have an agenda here. We're going to work. You didn't come here to fuck around, you know? And so uh, I, he just, it really impacted me a lot that 
that three hours of class time felt like three hours of class time rather than like two hours and 10 minutes of class time kind of thing, which a lot of some experiences of mine were, you know, like we didn't do, we didn't learn a lot in that class. It was a lot of talking and a lot of warm ups that didn't really teach us anything. And, you know, uh, help, help, help. And he, he didn't waste a moment. I love that. That is so cool. I think when a teacher keeps, keeps as a therapist, I start on time and I end on time. Although sometimes the ending is like a little protracted, but um, that's okay too. Uh, what a great improv story. So uh, you work with, now tell me about the, is it Rolo that you work with? You said. Roland um, Lopez. Yeah. Yeah, him and I, uh, so he's an L.A. guy. He was, he's living in L.A. long before I was. Uh, he's part of Mission Improbable. And uh, when I first moved here, him and I wound up doing some Mission Improbable shows together uh, in the first couple of months I was here. And I just really, there's something about the chemistry between us that I felt like, I don't know, I'd like to see if this guy would like to do something together. So I reached out to him and asked if he wanted to do a sketch show. And he's like, I'm not really into sketch, but he goes, I'd do a two-person improv if you wanted. And so I was like, great. So I called him back the next day and I said, book this a show at the Second City. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have a name. We didn't rehearse. We, you know, we didn't know anything we were doing. And he's like, oh, we got to rehearse first. So he came over and we did rehearsal and the rehearsal just blew our minds away. We're like, that's the best two-person show we've ever been a part of. And no one saw it. So we came up with a name, Roland and Riches. Roland and Rich. It makes sense. And... Then we did our first show at the Second City, and it was great. And we just like, okay. So then we started booking random shows as an indie team. And we wound up winning the uh, Dual Duel at the IO West when it was still a thing in 2016. It was like a two, two-person two improv team competition kind of tournament style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was really, that was honoring Frank Cayetti uh, and uh, and and Matt um, Craig were the judges and it was like really cool. I was like, whoa, like big, you know, big guns. Uh, and then we, you know, wound up doing the festival thing and we've, I think we've done 20 festivals so far. Wow. We've headlined yeah. three of them. Wow. Well, to find somebody that really gets me or we get, it's yeah. just such an indefinable thing. You can't really describe what it's like have that connection and uh, improv is so much about connection and relationship but to find someone and it's for me it's been rare to find somebody that gets me I think you know because I'm weird no we're all weird but uh it's just such a blessing I oh I can't and that's gone YouTube as well we can catch YouTube shows of that yeah we got plenty of uh shows on YouTube both live shows and it and a few online shows that we did during the pandemic um yeah, got a lot, a lot of shows. Uh, the one I'd recommend is uh, when Oklahoma City 2018, I believe, uh, and I'll send you the link to it if you want. Okay, yeah, but, please uh, do. It, it's it was it was a great show, but it's more about they had a really good recording, so like you can hear every word and oh, like yeah. they zoom in and zoom out and follow us along. So like it's a really good recording of the show. Oh, isn't that great? Because I've seen recordings of modern day shows, not back in the beginning of Second City. Well, some of the ones at the beginning of Second City are better than those. So, but sometimes they think they're shot from the audience or something like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, um, we have lots more to talk about. What is your favorite thing when you're teaching? Do you have like a? You probably have several things, but what are some of your favorite things when you're teaching? Yeah. Um, even though I haven't 
done it much in a while. My favorite things to do is to teach, is to do what Dave Wilk did for me, which is teach people at their entry point or near their entry point of improv. Um, I, I love remembering what it was like to not know anything about this art form and to be scared of it and, you know, weirded out by it and all the things that are absolutely natural that we all go through. And it, it's very selfish on my part. I love kind of getting in the headspace of students who are at the beginning of their improv journey. And I also selfishly think that I, like any good teacher should, I believe that the way that I can help people when they first learn is going to set them up for success better than the average Joe. Well, one of, one of the things I really enjoy with you is that your notes are positive, encouraging, supportive. And oh, believe you. me, I've been in some places. <laughs> no, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Or say it like this. <laughs> yeah, How's, you, that's not often helpful. <laughs> no, in fact, I made a, a show and you've been, you visited it once or twice where I am the supposedly best improv teacher in the world modeled after all the horrible teachers I studied with. It's I love that. Gift. It's such it's such a fun character. You play the hell out of that. Thanks very much. So let's go into the future. <laughs> and what are some of the plans? Are you working on another book? Uh, what are you? What are you? What What are you thinking about in the next few years? We won't go five years because that's trite. Everybody says, "What are you doing in the next five years?" What are you doing? Planning. So right now, the big thing I'm working on is uh, the business arm of my, uh, yes. my, the corporate side of my business, which is uh, Play Like a Team at playlikeateam.com. And it's where I go into corporations and I do a few different things. I can either um, just give a straight up workshop, which is just like, hey, this is going to be fun. It's going to like help people connect. It's going to be a boost for people's listening and different things of that nature. And it'll just be kind of like a booster shot in the arm. Uh, and I can come in and we can just do that. And so like, I'll come in, you know, an hour, hour and a half, something like that, or a keynote that would do kind of the same thing, talking right. about the right. benefits of teamwork and creativity and play and all this different things. Uh, or I can come in and do a little bit more like harder stuff of like, okay, we're going to deal with how to deal with uh, interpersonal conflict, right? Which is a huge necessary part of teamwork that is not light and fluffy, you know, and we have to get in there and really do some hard work, some emotional work, which is great. I love that kind of stuff. And then the last thing is where I consult, where I talk to the leadership and be like, okay, I'm assessing how, how meetings are run. I'm assessing how the company culture, I'm assessing how your teams are dealing with each other. And then I'm consulting on what I believe your company and your organization needs to help you get better at teamwork, better at company culture, better at ideation, all these kinds of things, these areas where I can touch on. It's so wonderful that improv is just out there in the world today. And yeah. applied improv is a title we can sometimes give. But mm -hmm. uh, I really like talking at corporations where they know nothing about improv. Yeah. And, and they have no idea. And the suggestion of an occupation is always proctologist. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We'll take it. We'll take well, it. I, what I love about that world is that, like, uh, it, to be the funny person in the room, uh, you don't have to be that funny. <laughs> like, they're used to, you know, pretty boring, like, let me tell you about the sales quota in blah, blah, blah. You know, it's pretty dry stuff. So when you come on and just have a little bit of energy, you're like, everyone, like, Margo's the best. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. I want to go back to something because you were a singer, you were in the choir. Yes, let's travel back a bit. And um, how about musical improv? Do you ever do musical improv? What are your thoughts about it? 
Um, yeah, I was I, I was one of the only, I think there was maybe three of us at the time, uh, one of the only people teaching improv hip-hop in L.A. for a while, pre-pandemic. Uh, I love uh, improv hip-hop, improv musical, narrative musical, you know, all that kind of stuff. I did, a, you know, with comedy sports, they always had the best music directors in the city. Yeah, yeah. And so we would play a lot of musical games, you know, uh, and so I, I got, I cut my teeth pretty hard there and then you know I, occasionally i would jump in with other guest teams and stuff and do like more narrative musicals and i've coached a few i love music improv i haven't done it pre since pandemic and not even much since then because you know uh, it's hard to do on zoom not impossible but difficult yeah. and uh it's just one of those things where if i had more time it would be another hobby i'd love to get back into but you know right now it's it's one of those things i sacrifice well, you probably didn't notice that I love to sing and I love to start like a hip hop beat. So I'm all for that. I just would really like to expand on that because that's so much. I even use a backing track I got on GarageBand. But there's nice. that Zoom lag, you know, we talk about the Zoom lag. So yeah. that's that's great info. I think if we can, and we can always do acapella solos, I think, you know. 100%. Yeah. And in between the pauses and some breaks, somebody can do a chorus or whatever. So I think it's pretty, pretty, really cool, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there, and there's definitely some people doing online uh, hip hop and online music stuff that uh, have got it down. Uh, I just never focused much on it myself. Do it, do it now. <laughs> I knew this guy. His name was Rich. I found a lion in a ditch. He liked to drink, but he didn't stink. I'm gonna give him a great big wink. Hey, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, and all these different styles, like comedy sports. You know, I really love comedy sports games. I think um, I think the slow mo games came out of comedy sports. I think, and mm. all the different genres and. You know, I really like Aretha Spolin, though. I like studying Aretha Spolin and kind of having basics, you know. It, Aretha Spolin? Is she related I'm, to Viola Spolin? Or? No, I meant Viola Spolin. <laughs> yeah, I study with Aretha Spolin. That's why okay, I, great. Be, I, I study with Aretha Spolin, and I'm going to do a, a um, uh, story theater this summer in Door, Door County with Paul's widow, Carol Sills. Um, oh, wow. but, but yeah, Viola's stuff is really good. It can be so applied to so many different places, I think. So, oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's the foundation with which everything else was built. Yeah. You know? yeah I met some kids. They were kids to me cause they were in their twenties. Um, I know you're only in your thirties. So anyway, so, your happy birthday. <laughs> I'll be, I'm actually closer to that 41st birthday at this point, but I'll, I'll take it. So cool. Uh, <laughs> they went to, I won't mention the name, but it has initials uh, a few summers ago. And when they came back, I said, uh, did you do some Spolin stuff? And they said, who's Spolin? Yeah. That was sad to me. So, yeah. uh, but. You know, I, I get, you know, the reverence for the past. You know, I, I like knowing where it comes from. But at the same time, like, they, you know, there's plenty of people that can play the hell out of a guitar 
that don't know, you know, some of the old guitar gods, you know, kind of thing. It's like there's exactly. the skill and the history. And uh, I, I don't begrudge anyone for not like diving into improv history because I think only us really improv nerds care about that stuff. Right, but, right. Uh, but it does kind of make me go, mm, I want you to like what I like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for sure. Everybody can't like what I like. But <laughs> some of the time you can please people. I think Abraham Lincoln said that, but I'm not sure. Could have been Teddy Roosevelt. Who knows? Who knows, man? <laughs> well, you were just the funnest person. Um, oh, but back at you. And I've had so much delight doing this podcast today. And I Same. wish I, I wish I lived in L.A. so I could uh, sing that song by Randy Newman, driving in my convertible, and yeah. and join you on stage. What a treat that would be. That would be lovely. Well, hopefully, uh, I can at some point figure out uh, someone to hire me down in Florida so that uh, I can make a trip down there. And if you know, uh, if I'm ever down there, of course, I'm looking you up. Yeah. Well, we've got a great festival every year with Will Lura and at Ooh. Sarasota Improv Festival every year. So uh, I think they're going to be back on this year, I hope. And he's terrific. And it's a a fantastic conference. So, yeah, great great workshops. So, um, all right, my friend. Well, I guess this is the end, but it's not the end. Thank you so much for having me, Margo. You're you're a real blessing. I'm just uh, honored. To, uh, I'm honored to be on your show. I'm honored to have you in my class. I'm honored to just to be, you're just a great person to be in in our radar of each other. Thank you so much, Rich. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.